Hello and welcome to episode 134 of the Nerd Culture Podcast. My name is David. We'll be the NCP crew. Richard. Hi there. Who's looking fine. Alright. Yeah, ladies. Cue the love theme from Jaws. <laughs> the love theme from Jaws. That was classic. Bill Murray performing the love theme from Jaws on uh, the recent anniversary show of Saturday Night Live. Uh, that's very, brilliant. very funny. Funniest thing on the show. And Crystal. Hello. All right. <laughs> about the love theme. Don't be alone. Pick up the phone. <laughs> Call, <laughs> Call Crystal now. <laughs> Why is it when you oh, say yeah. that like a picture is um, Liz Lemon doing her? Yeah. Uh, we're eating the, the pizza. And <laughs> classic. Uh, for this episode, we have two dust jackets and our top five film sequels. So these are hey. films that came after the first one. Yes. Follow-on <laughs> films, indeed. So not necessarily first, ones. So not, I just first. want to point out, not necessarily ones that we thought were better than the first film. Just films that just happened to be sequels of some kind. That'll be a whole different top five. <laughs> Feels better than the originals. When we do our reboots and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, so this uh, as, as normal as our dust jacket episodes. We've got two dust jackets. Let's get the show on the road with dust jacket number one. As always, starting off with Richo. His partner in crime this time is Luke. And they'll be reviewing The Fifth Head of Cerberus by Gene Wolfe. Oof. <laughs> I, was, I thought someone was going to do a Who's Afraid of the... But uh, that, he went with the dog bark. <laughs> Highbrow comedy. <laughs> Champagne comedy. The Fifth Head of Cerberus um, was... Uh, originally published in 1972. It was actually published both as a standalone novella, um, which I believe is the first story in the collected volume, but also as a um, as a uh, three as a single volume collecting three separate novellas. Um, the version that we'll be reviewing today is actually the the three story version. Which um, we picked what up. Why is that? Was it like a teaser thing or something? I'm, like on not- the cheap. I've actually not been able to find out exactly why that is the case. Um, it seems like an odd decision to do. Hmm. Yeah. No, I've, I've, I looked around to see if I could find out uh, why right. that, that had happened. Um, the only thing I have been able to find was that um, he... Um, it was originally, obviously, like a lot of these things, it was published in um, something called Orbit 10, which is an anthology um, magazine that Damon Knight edited. Hmm. Could have heard of it. Yeah. I've heard of Orbit 10. I don't know much about yeah. it, though. And um, I do know he did He did present the novel at a workshop and the, the one of the editors there was actually impressed and said he should continue it. And I'm assuming that's what, what actually happened. So, cool. yeah, so it was published first and then he followed it up with two other stories set in the same world, with which are, which are connected. Um, Sweet. Yeah. It's also uh, number 78 on Sci-Fi List's top 200 science fiction novels of all time. So you got that in there pretty quickly. You did not forget today. I did not forget. I did not forget. Um, Yeah. And uh, just to to put that in perspective, our previous book, uh, The Chrysalids, that we reviewed uh, a few episodes ago now, um, was actually 84. So to give you an idea... I haven't haven't read The Fifth Head of Cerberus, but I know that uh, that Chrysalids is brilliant. So I think that's a disgrace. (laughs) Yeah. I actually haven't read The Chrysalids myself. Um, but even I think that... So it's, it's, the, it's the vice versa. It's the you know, no, no, I agree with you. I think this is too high. Okay. <laughs> Between the two of you, you've read both books. Yeah. <laughs> Between the two of us, we're a, com- we're a combined That's right. being. We've read two books. <laughs> <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> the fifth head of Cerberus. The story centre around... the fourth head? 
Cerberus is meant to have three heads. Uh, sorry, I, keep de- I keep derailing you. I'm sorry, I apologize. No, the, well, the, the description in the book is that the uh, f- first three heads are the actual three heads of Cerberus. Yeah. The fourth head is the maiden head. Oh, bazing! Jeez, it's the, suddenly become a Playboy yeah. book. And then the question, well, well, <laughs> the reason for the part of the reason for that is um, the main character in the first story, um, who is only given the name number five, you never actually get his real name. Um, actually grows up. <laughs> I was holding my bat self back from doing that joke because I knew you would. I only did it. it. I only you did it because there. I knew you were going to do it. To go <laughs> number five is alive, but number six is a, is not a number. He's a free man. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, all day. Yeah. The the main character in the first story, which is actually the one titled "The Fifth Head of Cer- Cerberus," and that's the original novella. Gotcha. Um, he grows up in a brothel that his father owns and runs. Right. And. Um, Cerberus is a statue of Cerberus is actually guarding the door. Um, awesome. Yeah, to to the brothel. Um, yeah, and 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 there is some discussion then about what the actual fifth head of Cerberus actually is. Mm, gotcha. Uh, but that deals a little bit with the themes of the book, which I'll, I'll get to in a moment. But just to give a brief rundown of the of the three novellas, um, the first one, the fifth head of Cerberus, as I said, it's about a character um, growing up in a brothel. Um, who is, as he gets to a certain age, his father starts drugging him and doing all these weird experiments, psychological experiments with him. And um, so you, you learn about his growing up and about these experiences he goes through with his father, who is actually quite a cold and detached individual. Um, and through all of this leads to questions as to who number five actually is, what the nature of his existence is, why he's called number five, um, he continues to have these dreams of another world. Um, now, his his world is Saint Saint Crox. Saint Crox. Yeah, yeah. It's French, so I'm not quite sure exactly how to pronounce it. But Saint Crox, and there is a, a sister world to that called Saint Anne. And Saint Anne has um, an indigenous population on it that have been wiped out by settlers. Um, the settlers were originally the settlers were originally French, but then right. the French lost the war to an unknown enemy, which I just assumed was the English because the French and the English always go to war with one another, um, you know, in the, in the past. And, um, and basically this indigenous population has been supposedly completely wiped out. Um, Good riddance. But, but number five <laughs> has dreams about the indigenous population on, on the sister planet. Yeah. Um, the, the first story is... It, it's interesting enough. I, I think it sort of drags on a little bit. But mm-hmm. what, what is the really interesting part of that is presented in this first story um, is that number five meets an anthropologist called Professor March. And Professor March is exploring a theory that the indigenous population of this sister planet weren't actually wiped out because the indigenous population are actually shape changes. And there is a theory that is being espoused, and this is what Professor March is looking into, that when the first settlers actually arrived, they were wiped out by the alien shape changers who then took their forms. And so the actual settlers on these planets are the actual aliens, the indigenous population, rather than, rather than the actual French settlers. Yeah, now I won't go into a lot of detail about the first story. There's a couple of twists and turns there that I don't want to spoil. Then the second story, the follow-up to that, um, is called A Story and is about... It's it's kind of a, an, an indigenous folklore story about these these um, indigenous aliens shape changes um, before settlement occurred. 
Um, now, the kind of interesting connection there is that whilst the story is told from the perspective of a character called Sandwalker, it's the suggestion is that it's transcribed by Professor Marsh. That he has actually written this story down, um, and yeah, and that that deals with the the culture and nature of and religion of um, the indigenous population. Um, gotcha. Now, the the interesting thing here for Australians hmm. is that the aliens' indigenous culture it seems to be based very heavily on Australian Aboriginal folklore and culture, and so much so that the derogatory term abos which is a very common one, it's certainly in the past in Australia, and hopefully we've gotten rid of that quite a bit now, but um, that, was, that was a term that was used to describe the Aboriginal population here, and it's used here as well in a derogatory sense by these colonists as well. So there's, um, and they also refer to, um, the, the, on, on uh, St Anne, they refer to the non-colonised areas as back of beyond, so once again, which, which brings us to whilst whilst the author himself is actually um, American, American, it seems like he's he knows he studied, a lot of this and studies this and yeah and well, there um, seemed to be it seemed to be a mix between Native American yeah um, uh, myth- uh, Native American a, culture yeah. and Aboriginal Dreamtime culture as well. Yeah, so there, there is a, a real strong Dreamtime sensibility about this gotcha. um, and spirit walkers and things like mm. that. Um, the third story then is. Um, actually written as a series of diary entries and um, interrogations of uh, Professor Marsh, who has basically been arrested and put in jail. And um, and this, this runs through his actual time on, um, um, on St. Anne, searching for this indigenous population to see whether, whether they actually exist or not. Now, the interesting thing here is that Professor Marsh actually meets... A, a, a family that claim that they are actually indigenous, but may or may not be. It might just be a scam that they're doing to, to, to raise, you know, to, to basically get bigger money and things like that. And um, um, But this is where I think things get a little bit more interesting because the suggestion in this story is that perhaps Professor Marsh is actually an indigenous alien and that somewhere in, bet- somewhere in this story... The, the boy that he travels with, who is the son from this possibly indigenous Five. family. No, this is completely oh, separate completely from separate. that. Okay. Yeah. Basically, he's, he, he, he gets this family, uh, the son of this family, to act as a tour guide for him. Gotcha. All right? And that the, the son may have actually taken over, that the son may be indigenous and may have shaped, changed into Professor March, and it's actually Professor March that died. But it's left completely. So you got all those sort of possibilities, yeah. and yeah. none of them are actually ever explained. Yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's all presented okay. as so as possibilities without ever actually than... without actually really necessarily being stated one way or the other. It's it's really up to you to how you want to interpret that story, um, which is I think actually probably the best part of this book, um, and I think that third story is the most interesting part of that because it is bringing home what I consider to be the most interesting part of the first story, which is this idea that the indigenous aliens may actually be, have taken over the settlers. Um, and, but it's not directly dealt with in those, in the first two stories, whereas the third story sort of brings that home. The, the author writes in a very, very good style. Like his, his writing style flows very nicely and, and I appreciate that. But what, what I found, especially with the first two stories is that they didn't really hold my, my attention throughout um, I was sort of, I found myself sometimes I'm reading it, it's like the prose is very nice, but the story itself is not all that interesting. 
and a couple of the twists and turns in the first story mm. um, I felt were actually quite obvious. Like, I, I picked up on them very early on and was just waiting for them to get to those points where, where it's revealed to, to the readers what's actually going on. Um, the second story is, is, is more like a, I guess, a, like a fever dream sort of, you know, a, a dreaming kind of folklore tale, which, once again, is kind of interesting, but didn't really draw me into the story. Mm. Um, the third story, he gets a little bit more creative. Like, the, the, the way that the diary entries and the interrogations are done and presented are quite interesting. The, the, there is a policeman-type character who is actually going through all of the professor's paperwork that they've collected when he was arrested and all of the notes and things that he writes while he's in jail. And he's reading them, but they're not in any real order. So he's just picking up scraps and starting to read. And so you, you kind of left to sort of piece bits of it together yourself. But I found that, that that flowed a lot better and was a lot more interesting because it is it is presenting... the, the For me, the, the, the key and most interesting idea that is presented in this story is the one about the indigenous and, um, population. And that's the story that I think mm. presents that. And so to, to me, that was probably the, the most interesting story. Mm. One of the key themes about this is of, the, of this entire book is memory and the way that memory affects you and how real memories are. Yeah. Um, the first story is actually, I think, partly inspired by Marcel Proust because it's all about the, the main character actually trying to remember physical stuff about his own life, as, um, as, as Richard pointed out. And the second one is, you know, cultural memory trying to come to the fore. And the third one is, you know, a, a police officer trying to actually piece together the fragments of someone else's uh, mindscape and memory. The the problem with that is that it's that it's a very intellectual concept, um, and so the emotional impact and the emotional resonance uh, actually doesn't come through. So it's it's actually very hard to actually connect um, with a lot of what's going on, and um, that made the first story very hard. There's there are moments where the character goes off on a tangent, and you're following that tangent, and then suddenly he'll come back to something else. And you sit there going, okay, how does how does that connect? And I had to reread certain passages um, several times to go, okay, you started off there, suddenly we started off in a dreamscape, suddenly we're back in the real world, and there hasn't actually been a clear transition transition as to why that is. Um, and yes, yeah, so the first the first one's got some you know some okay plot ideas, but um, doesn't actually do anything to really establish a connection with the character and this, the problem with the second one is that it is as Richo said it is a fever dr- it is a fever dream so you get lost along the way quite often and come when you come back so other things would have happened and it's actually quite hard to actually keep track of what's going on the third story is more interesting because that is actually more about someone exploring a mystery yeah um, trying to work out what it is that's going on with these um, this indigenous culture and the the transformative effect that 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 trying to solve that mystery has on them, um, but it, given the, the nature of the, the way that Gene Wolfe writes, it's very much more experimental. Um, going from you know diary entries to interview transcriptions to the um, italicized segments, which is the police officer trying to um, piece together the, this, but also dealing with problems going on in the wider world as well, and you know de- de- and specifically dealing things he's got to have with his superiors. Um, you can get caught in and then suddenly get thrown right out again from it from another element um i think this is a book that has some very fascinating concepts and it's not by any stretch of the imagination a terrible book 
Um, you know, as Richard pointed out, uh, the pro styling is quite, um, uh, quite, it's quite nice to read, and I appreciate the fact that he tries to do something different in each novella and not write the same style. Um, but yeah, the actual, the lack of an emotional connection as well to, um, to really get you to involved in the world, um, I think is what was needed in this book. Yeah, I'd, I'd actually agree with most of that. Um, one of the positives I will say though is the actual through line, mm. um, because the, there is a suggestion that, um, the second story, the fever dream story is actually what the character in the first story is dreaming about. Mm. Yeah, when I he has pick, those dreams, yeah, that. but also that it's possibly the cultural memory of Professor Marsh. If Professor Marsh is an indigenous mm. um, alien as well, and, and so that so that there is a nice through. Does Marsh ever there. meet five? Yeah. Marsh does meet five. Yeah, okay, Marsh is actually I'd he say, is actually yeah. a minor character in the first story. He comes to see right. Marsh's aunt. Um, but yeah, I, I actually, I, I, I was actually, I must admit, the area I would disagree on is that I was actually drawn into the third story, and that might be partially because when Marsh shows up in the first, he's actually really quite, quite an interesting character that shows up, and and because he does espouse this this theory that really got sort of hooked my imagination. Um, yeah, I, 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 def- I, I didn't find myself getting drawn out of that story, even when we went to the policeman, mm. or even with the fractured nature of the narrative. Mm. Um, but then, uh, to me, that's obviously, you know, that's, that's deliberate on Wolf's part, because, mm. as you say, that is, that is one of the major themes of the book, as is identity. Mm. You know, like, e- each of these characters is, trying, is, is questioning who they are and what, the, what their purpose is, and, and whether they're even real. Mm. You know, or or whether they are who they believe that they are, and so um, yeah. So whilst the first two stories stand alone didn't really grab me all that much, the third one did, and partially because I think it is actually quite interesting and well done in and of itself, but also because it brings that through line together. Mm-hmm. So yeah, rating. Um, like I said, not a terrible book by any stretch of the imagination, um, but not one that I will go and reread or has encouraged me to go and read any of any more of general stuff so i give this two and a half looks yeah yeah i'd, I'd actually agree with two and a half um were i looking at that third story alone i would actually probably go a little bit higher maybe three three and a half but as a as a whole two and a half i think is a good score cool our next dust jacket is crystal and myself uh with crystal's choice strongly influenced by myself <laughs> the fey book two the Changeling by Christine Catherine Roche. There's no way to describe the the plot of this book without um, kind of spoiling because it is by nature it's the second book in a series. So if you haven't read the first book and you don't want to hear this review, skip it and come back to it later. Just point out though, you know, we actually have read this book, but we reviewed the first book as well. Yes, so. we have, but doesn't mean listeners have read it. That's true. Yes, so. Disclaimer out of the way. On with the on with the show. <laughs> <laughs> um, so by this book, um, the marriage between Jewel and Nicholas, uh, which was supposed to unite the Blue Isle, so unite the two cultures, the Fae and the the Islanders, didn't really work out the way they were hoping. They're still kind. Of, they're still separate. It's made worse by the. Uh, the appearance that their son Sebastian is simple when in reality what's happened is Jules' father Ruger has swapped the child over for a changeling. Um, the real child gift is taken to the Shadowland. Shadowlands and raised by two wisps um, while Sebastian's left in the care of Jules and Nicholas who believe it to be their real child. 
Um, that's one of the sticking points in the book where I kept thinking, especially Jewel, how could she not realise? And how could she not know? And um, and and Nick was just. I think she should have put a, a, a thing in there where they've been spelled not to notice, perhaps. But it kind of it kind of works too. There's a there's a point where you um, the. The Fay Shaman tries to tell Nicholas, but in a sort of oblique shaman y kind of way, and he, he, he doesn't get it because at the point of the book, no spoilers. Well, he's to so be fair, he's a bit distraught he's at the time. He's so consumed with grief that he really doesn't take on board what she's saying. Yeah. Um, so, what I liked about this book, this book, as I, I said in our previous review, this is the one I accidentally read first 20 odd years ago when it came out before the first book, um, which I'm, I'm kind of glad I did. This is the, actually the better of the two out of the first books. This book um, sort of sets in place the... There's a there's a very slow, overreaching arc throughout the whole series, because I'm quite far on in the series now, um, and it kind of the seeds are kind of started in this book, whereas most fantasy um, series that I've read, and I admit there's not been a lot in the recent years because I got bored with them. Most of them, it's just the magic is just um, taken for granted. It's assumed that they have magic. We move on. But in this series, there's a, a bit of a mystery as to where the magic comes from. And as a, it, the first sort of seed of that is in this book, where they find a, a, an island, a child who's pure islander, born before the Fey invasion, who is um, who's magic. He was in the first. He was found. In oh, the first he was book. found in the first book, but yeah. he, he becomes grows more, up in this book. more problematic character in this book. Yep. Um, and and so that starts starts to your mind thinking. Well, if the Fae are the magical race, where do the islanders get their magic from? Mm. And it, and um, yeah, it's, it's a slow moving arc that goes throughout the whole, and it starts. It's starting to come to a head now at the point where I'm at in about book seven or something. They also do mention another race who were also magical, but it was so weak that it was ineffective yeah. like some, in one of the other continents or something, yeah. I don't know. So the phase, the phase, one of the phase downfall is their, their arrogance in believing that they are the superior race of the, of the world. The Nazis uh, of the The Nazis, of the, the Nazis of, the, of this world. And the other thing I like about this book, uh, one of the criticisms of the first book was that it jumped around from chapter to chapter. Um, this, in this book, she starts to use that to really great effect, and that you get to see the characters from a three hundred and sixty degree perspective. So, in one in one chapter, that character might be the main focus, and you'd get a point of view from that character, even though it's all told from a narration point of view. But you get that character sort of point of view, and then in the next chapter, you jump maybe somewhere else on the aisle or something, but the other characters are mentioned. And so you see the characters from their own point of view, and you see them from other people's point of views. So I, I find that Terry Pratchett does that to good effect too. I find that a, a good uh, uh, asset to the book. Cool. Um, the, it, it's interesting that the, the word fame means doomed, uh, which I didn't know until five seconds ago. Uh, but uh, um, it's because it, yeah, that, that really definitely describes the Fae. Uh, well, I didn't know that until right now. So, uh, in yeah. the, Fae, the Fae are... They're in a lot of trouble, and their arrogance does sort of get into their, get in the way. You're, you're right, and so their arrogance, they're they're quite obvious um, superiority 
I mean, they really are. So, I mean, I mean, their magic is incredibly strong, you know, it, it, with some of them, and, and they're all excellent fighters and all that. So, they, 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 at first glance, they look like an unstoppable force. But I think that's actually, eventually, that turns out to be their downfall when they actually didn't get to Blue Island and stuff like that. Now, um, so, yeah, so to, to a, bit, a bit of history, yes, we, are, we have actually already uh, reviewed um, book one, and, and we're reviewing book, book two uh, because um, book one was reviewed by Crystal and, and Luke, and Luke was not a fan, and uh, you know, Crystal obviously is, and I was intrigued. I was like, "Hey, as quite as quite hop happens in these dust jackets, um, whoever does the other book, I get quite intrigued, like rediscovery of man and all sort of stuff." Wanted to give it a go, and so and you know, I like fantasy, so uh, here we are. Um, I, I, I'll start off by saying that uh, I actually read read the third book as well, so I'm actually now kind of confused about what actually happens in this book because <laughs> 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 so, I just I went straight uh, straight off to uh, the third book. Uh, I just I know in this book is is yeah it, it sort of just establishes who Sebastian and Gift are and yes. and um, and what's the name of the island again? Coulter. Coulter, yeah, which is a cool name. Um, and and uh, and uh, Nicholas's rise to power and and that sort of stuff. Um, I did want to really talk about one particular thing, but I want to spoil it because. Anyway, um, so yeah, so so even though I did uh, read uh, all the way, th- all the way, th- all the first three, I have read the first three books. I do actually kind of agree with Luke in that um, the first book is is really not that good. It's it's really it it's tries uh, tries to sort of establish the world and and it does that. I mean, it, it has it basically has all of the world building, and and I think that's a detriment to the story itself. The story doesn't really start until the second book, like Crystal said. And that's when it really picks up the pace and actually becomes interesting. Um, it's, it's, the story actually starts in um, Sebastian's crib. Yeah. And that's, that, that really draws you straight in. I totally agree with that. And it's, and it's, it's a shame. It, it is a shame that you have to... I mean, the first book, it's not, it's not terrible. It's just, it's just actually just quite boring. Um, and, but you have to read it in order to get to this one, where it basically it, all, it just all starts to happen. This is the Empire Strikes Back of the story. I mean, it's just, it, it, it really... I mean, it's the the mystery of Sebastian and and Gift and their relationship and 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 what turns out to be transpiring there, I think, is is awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think Sebastian is a, is a cool character. How Jewel doesn't know is just stupid. There, there should have been a, something in there, like you said. I think that, there's as a she because she's Faye. There's a Faye arrogance there that um, that's her child, and she believes it to be her child, and she doesn't want to be wrong. But none of the other Faye look like it. I mean, he's he's yeah. always whenever but, you, they talk about him, he's always described as having rough skin. When he when he cries, it's like a like a watered down a stone. They, they're thinking it's the mixture between Faye and Islander. Normally, that produces a fifth the Faye. Uh, mating with other cultures normally produces stronger children, but they think believe it's backfired in this yes, case. Stronger mar- magically wise, but not physical wise. Like every time he's physically described, he's quite clearly an animated stone, and it just it just drives me yeah, mad. He's a spe- that, 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 that I, I hear I hear your frustration, but the um, to be devil's advocate, the, 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 it, it's an animated stone and. She gave birth to this thing, so she believes it's yeah. it. Well, she didn't give birth to the stone. No, but she... That would have been pretty harsh. She doesn't know it's a stone. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. Anyway, anyway, but it's just... it's just, And I guess that is is one of the examples about about uh, this, uh, like, Christine's uh, I, writing sorry, that I'm, doesn't really do it for me. I guess I'm more forgiving now in that area because of the character Sebastian comes later without spoiling anything. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Fair enough. So, so sticking, so sticking with Sebastian. Although I quite like Sebastian as a character, um, 
he I mean he was nothing on Jewel. Jewel Jewel's still my favourite character. I think she's awesome. And and all I can say, I, I, no spoiler, no spoilers. It's a shame. Is, is all I'm going to say there. That, that was actually the only time that I actually felt emotionally connected. Well, no spoilers, but quite a few books later, you might be pleasantly surprised. Oh, okay, cool. She cloned. <laughs> respawn. <laughs> <Jewel too. laughs> respawn. Respawn. That's awesome. Warcraft Rivers. You're a legend. Um, so yeah, but and so and Sebastian is like I said, is really quite interesting. I, I think he's the way he's physically described is very very cool, and 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 his relationship to Gift. Um, but, but like I was saying about, about the writing, there's, there's, I think Christine's writing style is is really just not really for me. Like I just there's certain certain elements to it that I just I just find so so unbelievably frustrating that I just, it just I guess I, I don't know if it's just me or, or what, but there's just there seems to be areas where there's a ridiculous amount of description, and then there's when there's an area where you need description, there is none. Now that and I, now once again I can't remember if this is book three or book two. In fact, it's probably three. Actually, I apologise. This scene occurs in three, but there's one particular scene that just just irritated so much. It was it was almost on par with the ancillary justice page eighty-seven. So it's it was Nicholas and the Black King having a fight, and Sebastian, for no apparent reason, jumps knocks jumps sort of jumps onto the back of of Nicholas, and then explodes. Right now, it's. There's no, there's no reason for it. I just don't understand what's going on in that scene, and and that sort of, that I guess is sort of. I mean, I, I reread that passage three times, and I still to this day do not know why Sebastian jumped into that fight. Um, the fact that he explodes is cool, but other than that, <laughs> so the, and I guess, and I guess that's the perfect example of this sort of the writing. There's just certain passages throughout these three stories where you just you're you're begging for more information, and nothing happens like marius and like uh matthias and the river and you've got to remember too that it's a it's a saga that spans seven or eight books i've forgotten how many there are so some yeah. of these things that are not explained straight away no no, no i'm not talking about no no that's, that's what that's that's what i need to go that's why i'm obviously not being clear enough i'm not saying the the mystery elements are not explained because obviously they're plots that need to be explained later right that's totally mm-hmm. fine i'm talking about the writing there's no logical reason for why sebastian jumps into that fight in terms of that story, there is, uh, and I can't because because I'm so far ahead. I can't actually remember. There is. It made it made sense to me at the time. Put it that way. There should at least have been a passage where, where from Sebastian's point of view, saying, "I've got to do something." Here. But we're talking about book three. We're reviewing. Book yeah, anyway, two. sorry, we're reviewing book two. I'm oh, sorry. Okay. <laughs> anyway, uh, but, so, but like I said, like I said, start. This is this is where the story really picks up. And yeah. and uh, for people who are interested, and and I, I think it's, I mean, it's, it's definitely. I definitely recommend it in terms of, mm. of people reading it. I mean, mm. it's, I, I I don't I don't begrudge the fact that I've read it. I actually, I mean, I quite enjoyed it for 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 you know. I, mean, I went on to book three, so obviously I enjoyed it enough. Um, I think I think definitely hold out for book two because that's where it all basically all starts yeah. all starts to come together. Uh, I think with the writing style, I think it is. It might be a personal thing. I don't yeah. know because for me, it flows. Fair enough. As all of her writing does for me that it just it just flows that's why i continually go back to her books yeah she's very inventive i mean i was, I mean, I was the, some of the stuff that i really love about this i mean obviously sebastian bit and the whole there's a whole sort of golem sort of aspect and his mm. relationship to gift i think mm. is awesome i mean i, I picked i mean I, I predicted it but that's that's fine it wasn't a horrible it wasn't it wasn't meant to be a mystery yeah um and but uh i mean the fae themselves are awesome um i mean they're essentially dark elves which is cool and the the mystery of the magic, I think, is pretty cool. I mean, yeah. the, the the magic, the mysticism of religion, 
as a theme, I think mm -hmm. really works really well. Yep. Um, I think Matthias or Matthias, depending on who you talk to, I think is cool. Um, I mean, I still say Nicholas should have stabbed him in the face, but I'm glad that he didn't because then obviously the story wouldn't have progressed. Yeah. You know, so I mean, all those sort of things sort of sort of come together, and there's certain scenes um, that that occur that are, are just that are just awesome. Like, mm -hmm. there's some 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 really cool action scenes and and stuff like that, and sort of that sort of progresses on. Um, so on, on the whole, worth a read. Mm. Um, but I, I don't think I'm going to be moving on to four. I, th I think I just like that it's it's not a predictable quest fantasy. That's good. Yeah, the fact there's no quest is pretty cool. Yeah, it's it's not <laughs> like I've got this thing and I've got to get it to Mount Doom yeah. sort of. Um, yeah, Lord of the Rings clone, like many other fantasy series. Well, it's aren't. not sort of Shannara. Yeah, it's, it's not. No, no, no. It's, 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 it's no It's the. Yes. <laughs> Divorce. Um, so I'm like, and I don't want to spoil it, but my favorite, my actual favorite bit is the revelation of the holy water. Um, I just, I was like, that's bloody awesome. Mm. Um, so, yeah. Anyway, uh, there's, there's more to that. Oh, really? there's much, much more to that, cool. and much more to Matthias, 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 however you want to pronounce his name. Okay, cool. Yeah, <laughs> he's the Darth Vader of the story. He really is. Yeah, he's awesome. He's the of the story without the costume. Yeah. Oh, he get, has the robes. You should get the costume. Yeah. Well, I rated, well, I rated the first book, book uh, at number four, and looking back on it, it's probably a, a little high. I, I think I enjoyed the first book because I knew already was um, familiar with the characters, and that's why I gave it a four. But um, given that I gave it a four, this one gets a 4.5. It doesn't get a five because it's not at foundation level. <laughs> but it gets a 4.5 because, as we pointed out, this is really the jumping off point into the rest of the... The benchmark. Series. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, now that I've read, now that I've read one, um, it's, it's a 1.5 out of 5 book easily. It's just really not very good. Um, but the second book, yeah, this thing was just... This knocks everything up to 11. This is a, a 3.5 out of 5. Cool. So that's, uh, so that's our two dust jackets. Um, check them out. I'll definitely be checking out Fifth Head of Cerebrus. Uh, the books for the next, as our, as, as our tradition, our, our books for our next Dust Jacket episode in four episodes time, uh, Richo's pick is... Stand on Zanzibar by John Brunner. It's a big book, so if you're going to read along, I suggest getting started now. Yeah. <laughs> Put this podcast down and... And start reading. No, don't stop listening. We've still got more awesome show to go. That's Wait, right. Stop, stop saying that. You said Multi, that. Multitask. Read <laughs> and listen at the same time. I suggest maybe an audio book. Yeah. <laughs> the abridged version. It is a big book. Uh, so yeah, so, I just condensed <laughs> So uh, Crystal will be joining Richo for that one. And uh, the crew pick is myself. I finally get to pick. Yay! Yay! Um, and I'm choosing... Carter Beat the Devil by Glenn David Gold. And uh, Luke will be joining me for that. Oh, yes. <laughs> cool. So let's move on to our top five. For this edition of Top Five, we'll be looking at our top five favorite film sequels. Uh, like I said, not films that are not sequels that are better than the original films, just films that just happen to be sequels. And <laughs> uh, we're going to start with Crystal. Well, I, I don't know if I'm allowed to do this, but I took it one step further, and I've actually 
in doing my research, I've made a small list of predictions of what I think will come up in the other top fives. Oh well, the, the, since the host, the host loves you, you're, mm. you're allowed to do it. Yeah. So I won't I won't announce my predictions now, <laughs> but call. I will tick them off as we go through, and we'll see how many of them I've got right. I predict. Oh, I like it. It's like a game. There's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight movies here that I predicted that at least one of you will mention. Richard's cheating. Cover it yeah. up. No cheating. I, I, I can just look at that read, list. He just, can't read my writing anyway. <laughs> I can read anybody's writing. I've worked for lawyers. So um, I, can, I can see at least two of my movies so on that so list. Top five? So my top five, uh, in no particular order, um, Star Trek II, the, the Wrath of Carlin, which we won't go into any great detail because Luke reviewed it two episodes ago, but um, I picked it when I misinterpreted the top five as being better than the first, but it's also one of my top five, my all-time favourite films anyway. Um, and it's, it's probably... My, I like the Voyage Home Star Trek movie for the comedy element, but it's probably the better film, The Wrath of Khan. Next, coming up next. Almost. <laughs> Ghostbusters 2, just because I really enjoy it. Cool. <laughs> it might not be the greatest film in the world. I did but, not expect that to be on anybody's list, I can assure you. But it's Ghostbusters. Yeah, that's cool, that's fair enough. Who are you going to call Even it? bad Ghostbusters is good Ghostbusters. <laughs> um... Oh, no, I'd be remiss if I did not include uh, Lord of the Rings on here. So the next one is the Two Towers. Even though I think Return of the King's a better film, Two Towers is technically the sequel. Fair enough. Um, and now, I, having, um, having, having been confirmed what the top five is actually about, I've taken out um, Captain America... Winter Soldier. Okay. Because that is much better than the first film, I have to point out. And I put in Iron Man 3. Right. Because I like that better. Fair enough. Not Iron Iron Man 2, which is technically the sequel. Iron Man 3. Well, it's it's, being a sequel, it can be any film in the chain, Mm. essentially. So you could have any of the Bond films, for example, because they're all sequels, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And... And and 3 is better than 2, anyway. 3 is probably... Iron Man 3 is probably the best Marvel film I've seen because just because of the character development you don't yeah. often get that in a comic book film you don't get the hero having nervous breakdowns yeah and last but not least Tron Legacy wow Tron Legacy because it's it's an enjoyable film I don't know if it's the best film ever made but it's a enjoyable film the soundtrack's fantastic it looks pretty and it's got Jeff Bridges to be fair because I, I also Bio like Tron Legacy jazz. as well so do I yeah. Tron's not exactly correct <laughs> Tron <laughs> is awesome it's awesome yes it's not a good film it hasn't stood the test of time but Tron Legacy is a worthy sequel I believe I'll do that I wasn't all that impressed with the main actor guy whose name I can't remember no one was impressed with the main actor guy but um, you know Good appearance. Bio, digital jazz, man. Yeah, nice appearance by Michael Sheen and yeah, yeah. That's a good. That's a good list. You mean Ziggy Stardust? He was Ziggy Stardust. Um, I'm gonna, he plays guitar, man. <laughs> All right, we'll get ready for your, your game. We we'll like your game. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go next. I did like the fact that you said in no particular order because I found this so hard in order to do preferences because this. Strangely enough, this top five is actually five of my favourite films ever. So to 
put it into in its own sort of individual. I just couldn't do it. So I'm, just, I'm gonna, also going to do in no particular order, all right? All right. Because I, I think you're, you're, you're on the money with Set that. Set the trend. Set the trend. I've got Terminator 2. Brains. It's, I mean, it's... it's what more can be said? I mean, it really is unbelievable. Uh, Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan, <laughs> which is my favourite of the Star Trek films, uh, followed very closely by First Contact. Uh, Spider-Man 2, which, you know, it doesn't have to worry about doing the uh, the origin story. So, I mean, the origin story is out of the way, and uh, now they can just get straight into the action, which is what, what they've got to do. And Spider-Man versus Doctor Octopus on the train is one of the greatest superhero sequences ever. I was actually going to say be specific about which Spider-Man 2 you're talking about, but that, that gives that away. No, not, yeah. a, not Amazing Spider-Man. Yeah. Spider-Man. Yeah. <laughs> the less said about Amazing Spider-Man, the better, I think. Okay. Uh, the uh, Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back, which is my favourite film. Brent. It's actually my second favourite film, sorry. Back to the future, my favourite film. And uh, Aliens, which is uh, it's unbelievable. I've seen Aliens so many times, and it's, it's awesome every single time I watch it. It is... It, it it distills the the original Alien film and and turns it into an action film and it's still it's still scary, it's funny, it's actiony action, actiony action. It's Bill Paxton. It's everything you basically. It's everything you need in a film. It, it's it's perfection distilled in film form. Brilliant stuff. It is not Prometheus. <laughs> and uh, and uh, also at the end of it, I also do some uh, some. Uh, I mean, I had I mean, I basically could have done a top thirty. So it was ridiculous. So I'll, I'll follow Crystal when the other guys have done this. So look, I just want to pause there for a sec. So that's four. Well, I, the only reason I didn't put Wrath um, of Khan on that list is because it was in my list. Yeah, yeah there were four. Yeah. You actually get four ticks: yeah. Aliens, Terminator Two, and Spider Man. Empire Strikes Back and Spider Man Two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. pretty so, much. All right. four, yeah. four of your five there, Dave. <laughs> predicted were predicted. But, and plus, the fifth one was in my list. <laughs> All right, just give me a sec, because now, now I'm onto the game. I'm going to try and... <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. I should have made it a secret. No, this yes. is good. Um, okay, so my first one is going to be Robocop 2. Wow. Interesting. Um, I, I, uh, I'm, I'm one of the five people, I think, that actually likes Robocop 2. Not above Robocop 1. It's not um, nowhere near the equal that the first one is, but it is still uh, highly entertaining, enjoyable, still quite socially conscious yeah. um, uh, film. It get it does get a bit silly, and Irvin Kershner is directing. Eve, and it doesn't quite, it, he doesn't quite get to grips with the special effects and um, yeah, uh, and the storytelling itself. But the the script is still quite um, it's still quite sharp. Uh, it's always nice to see Peter Weller playing Robocop, um, and the yeah the the message and the story or story I still follow through. So I really like Robocop too. Um, my next one is Curse of the Cat People. Um, and which is a wow. different film to the first one. Yeah, um, cool, the first one uh, directed by Val Luton. Not, not, not Val Luton, sorry, he produced both. Mm. Um, Jacques Tourneur is more of a psychological horror film, whereas the second one, which is co-directed by Robert Weiss, and for the life of me I can't remember who the other director was, but it was Robert Weiss's first directorial effort, is you know a sort of a horror, but you know, borders more towards kids' fantasy as well, it's it's told the the perspective is different. Stand, it it holds its own with its um, immediate pre, with its predecessor, um, but you can enjoy it as a film in and of itself. And you don't even need to go back and watch Cat People to get to understand what it is about. Um, Disturbed by your refer- your kids' fantasy reference. Doesn't she get naked in that film? No, no. It's we're talk- no, you're talk- you're thinking of the remake of Cat People with Natasha. Yeah. I'm referring oh, to with the original Natasha 40s. Kinsky. Yeah, yeah. Oh, um, she was hot. Yeah. Um, <laughs> 
And yeah, because the Capio was different to that one yeah, as well. Yeah, I got that right. I'm also thinking it's a other film. I'm thinking of the, the film that I enjoyed. <laughs> My next one is going to be the Star Trek Evens, up until um, First Contact. Up until and including First Contact? Up until and including First Contact. Oh, okay, cool. That's good. Um, so, so, two, four, six, eight, ten. No, no he said ten. up until First Contact. So, so, so two, four, six, eight. Two, four, six, eight. Including Contact. Yeah, first including, contact. Including, including, including First Contact. So, um, not Nemesis is basically Not Nemesis, saying, yeah. Which is uh, trash. Yes. Of the highest level. Um, if we're talking about films that actually are better than the first one, then yeah. they're all better than Star Trek The Motion Picture. I'll, I'll, still watch, I'll still watch Star Trek The Motion Picture over many other films. Don't get me wrong, the Star Trek The Motion Picture was on last night, and even I tuned in for about five minutes of it, and I own it on DVD. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Blu-ray. Uh, no, not Blu-ray, on DVD. Um, no, it's not. Anyway, getting back to my list. It's so, very pretty. Uh, yeah, they, it just does, it, they, they all do the job better. Um, my number two is Evil Dead 2. Which oh, is basically I, a remake of it. Is, it is a remake. It does continue. It does continue on yeah. because it does pick up where Evil Dead One finishes off. Yeah, uh, like House of Cat People. Uh, the, I like the first one, which is more of a straight horror film with some quite questionable content. Um, <laughs> I should point. It should be pointed out. Not a fan um, of the tree. No, um, but I actually for the mo- but I actually do enjoy Evil Dead One apart from that sequence. Yeah. Um, <laughs> sequence. Um, Evil Dead Two is um, more. Getting towards more the out and out comedy that is Army of Darkness, but yeah. I prefer Evil Dead too because it's got. I, I just think the the focus on the guys in the cabin and you know the immortal line, yeah, um, is quite synonymous. The immortal line being the moment where he um, straps the shotgun to his back, jacks up the chainsaw hammer, jack, jacks up the chainsaw hammer, and then deadpan mode to the camera, groovy, mm. immortal stuff. Yeah, um, love Evil Dead too. And my last pick is Toy Story too. Manages yeah. to retain the the warmth and feel of the first one, um, but you know manages also um, carries the story forward. Quite if you know for a for for a sequel to a, a kids film, it is quite astonishing. It doesn't pander to um, it doesn't pander to it to you know what what it thinks its audience wants. It keeps its characters first and foremost, um, but with a nice sort of ode to French the nice sort of ode to friendship that was started in the first one is carried forward through in this one quite well. Um, so yeah, Toy Story 2. Awesome, Richard. Yeah. And I've actually put these in order. Really? Yep. Uh, number Holy. five, it, it took a while, and I did have about 20 movies to begin with. Yeah. Uh, number five is actually The Evil Dead 2. Much for what, what Luke was saying, but I actually can't stand the first film. Right. Like, I really don't like it, whereas I love Evil Dead 2. And so, whilst whilst you were saying that it's not better than the, the sequels wasn't part of the criteria, I kind of did apply that anyway, right. uh, an equal to or better than the original film sort of approach. Right. Um, yeah, so Evil Dead 2, because I hated the first film. Yes. Um, number four on my list is Superman 2. Now, we've talked ad nauseum about, you know, Superman and Superman how much... Superman 2 is not better than Superman 1. Hang on. <laughs> We've talked ad nauseum about how much, uh, you know, I love Superman and how much I love Christopher Eve as Superman. And um, I actually think, I, I, I see Superman and Superman 2 as just being one big, big story. And it's just awesome. There are so many great moments in Superman 2. Oh. So many great Superman moments. And, of course, the classic Neil before Zod line that we all love so much. We'll um, pretend 3 and 4 don't exist. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, Terrence Stamp is just the perfect... Uh, superhero villain in that film um, like I just I love it and it's a film that I just watch a lot and I, I, I'll be honest I watch Superman 2 probably more than I watch Superman 1 um, and so that's partly why it's made it onto this list as well 
Number three is Bride of Frankenstein. Um, Frankenstein is Frankenstein is brilliant. Don't get me wrong, and um, you know has a very important role in um, you know the the the, or, the starts of of the Universal monsters and and the influence that's all had. But um, Bride is just a better story, hmm. it, it, and it has a, a, a couple of key scenes that I loved from the book, um, especially the scene with the blind man, um, which is also then beautifully parried parried in. Uh, Young Frankenstein, um, but yeah, Br- Bride of Frankenstein. of Frankenstein is amazing, um, and I actually think it is better than the first film, um, and is one of the key movies in the Universal uh, catalog, Universal Monster catalog, um, and possibly the best of the films, along with uh, you know Dracula, of course. Um, a pox on Dracula! Dracula. Okay, rubbish. My number two <laughs> film. My number two film is. Literally, possibly a prequel, but I'm going to list it as a sequel anyway, and that's The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. It is... <laughs> it is possibly the greatest Western ever made. Um, along with, you know, maybe High Noon and uh, Once Upon a Time in the West for me. But um, this... What, this not, not Shane? Shane! Shane! Come back, Shane! Shane! <laughs> um, not for me personally. <laughs> but um, the, the Good, The Bad, and The Ugly is just a perfect Western... It's perfectly cast. The music is brilliant. The 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 directing is just spot on, and I just love this movie so much. It has one of the best like ending face off gunfights of any western ever. Just fantastic. Um, and my number one movie is uh, The Godfather Part Two. It is well, somebody had to have it. Surely, <laughs> The Godfather is a masterpiece. There's no doubt about that. One of the greatest movies ever made, and its sequel is, in my opinion, its equal. I. Both of these films are just brilliant. Like they, just, they they just stand out of American cinema. It's funny you say, I actually think it's, I think it's better. Okay, look, it's um, <laughs> you're on fire. Yeah. Um. Either way, whether whether you yeah. think it's equal or better, the fact yeah. is, it is an absolutely brilliant masterpiece of a movie. And um, yeah, and and I love both of the Godfather films, and so that's that's why I got my number one. Well, and you also so the game results. Go. Five out of the eight predictions I got, and in hindsight, I probably should have put Toy Story on there because I did think about that. Um, what I'm surprised that no one mentioned was Mad Max Two. Ooh, I tell you what, that was that was yeah. that was like going to be maybe six or seven on the list. Like it was so close to making really, the cut. yeah, yeah. I was in my, I, it was in my top thirty, but I didn't make it into my top. 10. I, I, I wanted it's 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 such an important Australian film. Like, it's the most influential film that we've made. And and it is actually a lot better than the first. It depends on your definition. It met my criteria. Um, Yeah. So, very close. So, that's the thing. I just wanted to clarify. It wasn't sequels that were better than the original. So, if it was was that, definitely. But not... Uh, See, I I just went with that as as part of the criteria in order to narrow my list down because there were so many sequels. Um, I'm shocked that Luke didn't say The Dark Knight. Why not? I don't actually think it's a... Great film. Because you love Batman. So? <laughs> Just because he loves Spider-Man and put Spider-Man 2 on it. Uh, Spider-Man 2 is awesome! No, it's not. Spider-Man uh, 2. I've got to agree well, with Well, it's just because uh, it's such a highly revered movie and, and Luke yeah. loves Batman, so I put yeah, two yeah. and two together. Yeah, but I've, the one of the reasons why I don't like it is because there's actually not that much Batman or Bruce Wayne in it. Yeah. It's more of a Joker movie. Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry, I, I've just got to support David here. Spider-Man yeah, 2 is awesome. See? Got that. Um, Doesn't support. mean you're right. Richo supports me. That's and right. I'm, There's more ways than one. Oh, that's right. right. The other one that no one picked that I thought they might is... I was going to say Temple of Low Men, but that's a Crowded House album. Yes. Which yeah. technically, I suppose that's a secret. <laughs> um, it's a second album. Um, Temple of Doom. 
Yeah, uh, uh, there's certain elements of Temple of Doom that I just I love. Almost got to go on my list. Yeah. Almost, it's, it's not as good as Crusade. Yeah, um, and as for honourable mentions, that was it. Temple of Doom, I guess. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, that was fun. That was a fun one. It was fun. It was fun in the sun. Fun, fun, fun till Daddy takes her tea bird away. Absolutely. Don't take my tea bird away. No, I wouldn't take your tea bird away. You're not my daddy. That's 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 appropriate. That's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> Let's finish up with coming soon. In cinemas, March nineteenth, we get seventy-one. Seventy-one what? Bottles of beer sitting. No, in the it's, it's it's about a soldier who gets left behind by his platoon during the troubles. But we leave no one behind. <laughs> They're obviously not Marines. They're obviously not Marines, no. Uh, Big Eyes, which I think has been delayed, which was delayed because we mentioned it earlier before. So Big Eyes, which is Tim Burton's film about uh, that artist. With Big Eyes? eyes? No, the pa- all of her paintings, all the pictures have all the people's eyes. People's eyes are really, really, like, really huge yeah. dinner plate-sized eyes. Yeah. Like freaky, creepy-looking yeah. eyes. She's <laughs> been obviously been abducted by aliens at some point. Yes, <laughs> you would have to say that. Um, uh, Home, which I know nothing about. Uh, Insurgent, which is the sequel to Divergent. Uh, Love is Strange, which is uh, Alfred Molina and somebody asked about two old homosexual, like an, a homosexual couple, you know, in their trials and tribulations. But Alfred Molina, worth a watch. He is cool. Um, and The Gunman. <laughs> I'm Sean Penn entering the action movie stakes. I don't know, it's weird. Sean Penn. Well, he's won his Academy Awards yeah. now, so he's got all his acting credits, so now he can yeah. just, you know take the Liam Neeson you can, route. You can just imagine, so you're sitting back thinking, you know what, you know, I've, I've proven my point. You know, I'm, I'm a brilliant actor. It's, now I'm going to do the films that I wanted to he's, do. He's done <laughs> the opposite to Matthew McConaughey. Yeah, 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 you're yeah. right. But I can see Sean Penn as an action guy. I can see it too, but it still is why, weird. Why not just call it, why call him the gunman? Why call it the gunman? He doesn't need, he doesn't need a gun, just stares at people. <laughs> anyway, I'm intrigued. I, I, I do not yeah. deny I'm actually intrigued to see You could have a stare off with Angelina Jolie. <laughs> I think See, Sean Penn would win, win that one. Mm, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Angelina got someone fired. <laughs> I guess they're <laughs> Anyway, so that's it for episode 134. Thanks for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed it. We enjoyed it. Don't forget, our next books stand on Zanzibar. You've got to start reading it now. That's right. Everybody, start reading. You can Ride take the horse with, with that thing. The minute that we say bye, I want you to pick up the book, start reading. Start reading. <laughs> Unless you've already read it, in that case, good on you. Read it again. <laughs> Don't read it again. It's madness. Then you can argue with us. Well, not on the podcast, but you can fire off emails arguing with us after we've done the review. Exactly, which would be awesome. Yeah. We're always happy for feedback, as you know. And, uh, of course, the other other book being Carter Beats the Devil, which is awesome, awesome stuff. You've read already, that now. You've already got my review already. Awesome. In fact, I want you to have Stand on Zanzibar in one hand, Carter Beats the Devil in the other, read one page. Turn, read the page of the other book, turn, and just read it like that. You've got two eyes, one eye on each book. How That'd be impressive. That, be, man? that would be that weird. weird. That would be weird. But do it anyway. And if you do, do it, let us know how it goes. Floyd and, and, and uh, Wizard of Oz sinks up in some Yeah, can you sink the two books up? That'd be impressive. That's it for me and the crew, Richo. Bye now. Luke. Top five books that can stone a person to death. I think Russian literature would just... Sort of <laughs> oh, look, War and Peace alone. You drop that from behind, it'll kill somebody. Dostoyevsky, the, the, the surgeon tales for Dostoyevsky would, you know... Maybe <laughs> up there. And what about that Rimdi? Oh. And Crystal. Book. Second start at the left. Straight on until morning. 
<laughs> Stop! Was, say we're done! Bye! That, that, that wasn't, you know, she was actually telling you that's where you needed to go. <laughs> You've been listening to Nerd Culture Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Send us an email to feedback at nerdculturepodcast.com. You can write on our wall if you go to the Facebook page. Go to facebook.com forward slash nerdculturepodcast. Tweet us at nerdculturecast. Skype us on Nerd Culture Podcast. If we don't answer, leave a message. We might even play it on the show. You can comment on any post on our website. www.nerdculturepodcast.com If you'd like to support the show, use the Amazon affiliate widget on our website to do your Amazon shopping. It doesn't cost you any extra, and a small percentage of the profit goes towards helping us to produce our show. We can see what you buy, but not who you are, so your privacy is assured. Check out our videos at ncptv.net or search for NCPTV on YouTube because we also have a YouTube channel. Don't forget, you can rate, review and subscribe to the show on iTunes. Wondering where you can hear more of Bo? Go to ecnradio.com. Bo and David also have another podcast called Film Flames. More info at www.filmflames.com. You can find all of our podcasts and more at undercastnetwork.com. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for more episodes.